Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and we are here today, and we're chatting. Um, we've got a great guest on. We're about to chat with Leslie Carrier, um, and she is the organic gourmet. So she's a vegetarian chef. She's a cookbook author of quite a few titles. Uh, she's a teacher, a motivational speaker. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on today, Leslie. So so welcome to Energy Matters. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, so I, I heard your talk at the Hungry Ghost um, uh, summer series that Chris Morano puts on. Um, and we were talking this this year, you know, the series was all about uh, food as medicine. And so he brought you in because you are this amazing cook that has done all these kind of great recipe design for um for gluten-free for vegan vegetarian and on that day you were you were talking about seaweed and you had brought in samples so the whole crowd got to try all these different types of seaweeds and I had I had tasted flavors that I'd never tasted before it was just such a fun I mean anytime you feed us is a good thing but (laughs) Uh, but um tell us a little bit about who you are and and what you do in the pioneer valley well i am an organic farm to table chef as you mentioned i have expertise in vegetarian vegan gluten-free and plant-based um, I also helped co-write one of the books I worked on was with Maine Coast Sea Vegetables, their cookbook, Sea Vegetable Celebration, in which I um, did a fair amount of editing on the nutrition. So I'm also a culinary nutritionist. So not only am I thinking about food as medicine, but it's got to be delicious. So the only way to know is to taste. So I was so glad that I could bring samples and people could taste dulse, and people could taste nori, and I think I brought about six different sea vegetables, including their kelp crunch, and that way people could get the idea of me talking about culinary cooking tips with sea vegetables, which enhance your immune system, are delicious food as medicine, and also incredibly versatile and fun to cook with. So the other things, like you mentioned, what am I doing in the Pioneer Valley? I love living in the valley. Um, here over 30 years, as we were talking earlier, I also built a natural passive solar home, contracted it. I'm kind of one of these Renaissance people, also an award-winning nature photographer. So I'm all about organic lifestyle for optimal health and pleasure. That sounds really good. It sounds like you've got a, a good thing going. no complaints I love living here and even with COVID staying home and not being on the road traveling and teaching worldwide training chefs or on the west coast teaching groups it's just magnificently beautiful and delicious to be in this valley so I'm very happy to be here yeah what's your favorite thing about teaching teaching other chefs Uh, turning them on to ingredients that they never tried before, like the sea vegetables at the Hungry Ghost. 
I, I did a training. Actually, this was the first training I ever did for chefs on Zoom this summer. And um, it was really nice to be home and do it from my kitchen, but also to watch their lights go on. Like I did it around gluten-free grains, around gluten-free baking. Um, I was helping them do a lot of more non-dairy meals because they have a lot of students who are vegan and plant-based. So just to watch how I could give them a simple idea and then show them how to create with it. So what I love doing is showing as the seasons change, you can mix and match the vegetables to be a more sustainable kitchen and eat more local. And then you're adding, say, a grain like millet, and here's how you could do it in the fall. Here's how you might do it in the winter, in the spring, and in the summer, you might change your grains. So that's part of my going wild in the kitchen approach. And I think what I love is seeing how chefs kind of get it because they have that foundation as well as my private clients and students that I teach all the time. It's like just watching that aha moment of like, oh my gosh, I might have allergies or I might be cooking for people who can't eat this or that. And to watch them see how they can expand their ingredient repertoire and just have an infinite supply of creativity and deliciousness in the kitchen. Yeah. Do you feel like you ever get pushback from um, from chefs about, uh, you know, the world of, of veganism or gluten-free kind of stuff? I mean, because I feel like there's so much tradition and culture that are wrapped up in, um, in you know, some classic grains like wheat and um, and in meat and all these kind of other things. Do you, do you feel like that kind of uh, ever like rubs chefs the wrong way at all? Or do you feel like they're usually they're attracted to you because they're growing in that direction or I'm, I'm just curious about what, um, what yeah, kind of feedback you get. That's a great question. I remember being on the West coast at Esalen Institute where I taught for about eight years pre COVID and I had a professional chef and restaurateur who came to my class and he did beautiful presentations. And what I find is I make it fun and I make it exciting for people to be creative uh, in fact, the name of that class was Improvisational Cooking for Health and Vitality. So that was already there that it was going to be creative. And he was wide open. So I think the people that come and work with me are generally wide open. Years ago, in the beginning, um, there'd be a little pushback from some people when I taught gluten-free cooking classes who were looking for me to make, um, you know, junk food gluten-free. And I was kind of working with whole real foods. And so I don't know if it's a pushback, but it's one thing in my mind that I've seen has changed. Like people are wide open right now. There's a lot more available in stores. You don't have to send away. And I think people are like, what is this and how do I cook it? So at least I'm attracting people with excited curiosity. Yes. Yeah. Um, so how how does food for you fit into health and happiness? I know you kind of mentioned vitality was, you know, vitality and creativity was part of one of your classes. But yeah, how does how does, you know, food fit into health and, and happiness for you? Well, it's always been my happy place as an eater. Even as a child, I, I felt like what I was going to have for dinner was was really important. Um but the happiness part now is kind of a new theme that I've been working with over the years. It's, it's more of like a loving kindness in the kitchen, 
honoring all the hands of love that touch your food from seed to table. And so that's my happy place, whether I'm growing it in my organic no-till gardens or at my community-supported agriculture CSA or shopping at the co-op and just the happy place of so many amazing and abundant crops that I could be like attracted to at the moment to get creative with in personal chef jobs. A lot of people are like, I trust you just make whatever, <laughs> or, yeah. you know? Um, so I think my happy place is being really creative with the abundance of choices. And in the Valley here, we have that. We have so many choices around here. It's, it's really outstanding. We are very, very blessed. I think we have food land security here. Do you, what's your, do you have a least favorite vegetable? I know as somebody who probably loves food and loves like the bounty of this area. Do you have vegetables that you're just like, oh God, I'll try. (laughs) I guess the only vegetable I haven't been, you know, I just got a kohlrabi at my CSA and every year I take one and some years I end up composting it and some years I end up peeling it and, you know, it depends on the weather because it's a little bit more as a fall crop. And I do like it raw, like if I'm making a, like a chickpea pate or a cilantro olive dip, you know, then it's really nice, you know, because this time of year, the cucumbers are gone. So what else can I use? So that's one that I haven't been like wildly creative with. Yeah, you, you haven't know, you haven't romanced the, the kohlrabi hasn't romanced you yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and we were kind of touching earlier on, on this idea about food as medicine, and that's really, um, part of your website as well. Um, how, how can people correct their health when they're learning about their diet and their nutrition? Like, I know that nutrition is a, is a big part of your work as well. Um, but yeah, how can, how can people really learn to, uh, care for their health with food? Many, many ways, actually. One is what I love doing when I'm teaching. Um, In fact, I taught a private class a few weeks ago. It's the first one I did in person with COVID, and I was able to bring them out into the garden. And they really wanted to learn how to make food tasty. So we were looking at all the different herbs in my garden that were growing. And so they could kind of get a feeling of what they were attracted to. And so I really think like when I'm thinking about food and health, we know intuitively what's good for us and what's not. At least I learned that many, many years ago in a yoga class when the yoga teacher somehow went off in this direction of like, we put something in our mouth and we automatically say yay or nay. And sometimes we eat it anyway, even though our body says no. So I think Um, that cooking with intuition has always been a guiding philosophy for me as a recipe developer and and as a chef. And that happy place of choosing healthy food because they taste so good. You know, whether it's just an organic vegetable or it's a way of, you know, combining an herb and spice and making it Mexican or Italian or Indian. It's that creative way of using herbs and spices to enhance our health and enjoyment. Hmm. And when you kind of talk about intuitive cooking, can you describe what your pro like what that means to you and like what your process is when you're doing intuitive cooking? Yeah, there's there's lots of ways. Uh, I'm working on um, a product for a private label. And sometimes it's like, you know, I know my client is waiting. 
And I'm waiting for my inner muse, my intuition to kick in for when I'm really feeling inspired to start to work on the recipe. So it's coming more from cooking from my heart, which is another piece I think of cooking with intuition. And, and sometimes it's like I'll be at a market and I'll look at a vegetable and something inside of me will say, bring that one home. And then I might get a call from a personal chef client, a new one, and say, hey, would you make something with that vegetable? So sometimes there's this inner knowing. And I think of that, you know, circling back to like how much. People are always like, how much of this or how much of that? And I, again, that feeling of presence, really getting quiet and present so that your inner guide says how much. And that's sometimes some, some way that I'll create an exercise for people to be quiet inside so they can have that magic intuition kick in to see what they're attracted to and what they're not. Because a lot of people are, um, or even myself sometimes, well, this is really healthy, I should eat it. Like here, here's a little story. Um, many, many years ago, a friend of mine, was trying to get me to um, to eat flaxseed oil. And I said, you know, I've tried it and I don't really like it. And she said, well, you're a chef. You know, you could infuse it with cinnamon or something. And I said, you know, I eat so many healthy foods that if I don't like this one, it's okay. I don't have to eat everything because this happens to be the superstar of the moment. Right. I have a, a similar relationship to, to ground flax as well. It's like, I um, it's good for vegan baking. It's great. You know, I have it stored in my fridge. But every time I reach for it to add it to my smoothies, my body's just like, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I'm like, but it has all these delicious omega threes in it. And but my body's just like, no, that's not the one. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I put some chia seeds instead or whatever else. But uh, yeah, it's funny, because I'm just like, I don't understand why I wouldn't like this. But my yeah, my body just has its own its own thing. And that's part of cooking with intuition. Like there's something inside of you and there was something inside of me. Like I, I don't miss flaxseed oil in my fridge. Um, I do use plenty of chia seeds and have seeds for the omega-3s. And, you know, it's like I'm eating so many things that are super healthy, super delicious, because it's all about the yum for me. Um, many years ago, um, uh, I was teaching at the Natural Gourmet Cookery School in New York City, and Emery Colbin, I had been at one of her talks. She was the founder, and she said, if it's not delicious, why bother? Right. Why bother? I mean, that's what attracts everybody to junk food, right? And like the quick, you know, the comfort food that we have, those like really rich mashed potatoes and pizza and all that. It's like we go for that because it's that's the yum first, right? Well, I don't generally go for those things anymore. I'm, I'm constantly changing my diet, not just with what seasonality is, you know, what vegetables are in season, but what I'm really in the mood for. You know, like, like I did a little experiment this summer with giving up dairy. I was still eating eggs. I was still eating honey, so technically still a vegetarian. But I gave up the dairy, and I was eating a lot of goat cheese, and I was eating a lot of yogurt. And we've got... Lots of great, you know, organic grass, pasture-raised yogurt and dairy. And I had it all in the fridge and I gave it away. And I was like, oh, well, this is, this is different. You know, usually if I'm in a hurry, I grab some chia and yogurt and go. 
And it gave me a pause to like having something else. And without trying, I, I lost weight. And that was kind of nice. I didn't go for a blood test, but I know probably my cholesterol went down. And um, I felt great, you know, and I still had lots of energy from everything else I was eating. And then little by little, I found a package of like goat mozzarella in the fridge. And I was like, mm, let me try this. I know people at home can't see the dreamy look in your eye that just <laughs> crossed over your face when you mentioned that you're like, oh, I just found this package of goat cheese. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, all right, I still like that. And so I can, as the season's getting colder, I can switch back and forth. And I think that also makes me um, maybe more humble or human, you know, as I'm helping people make changes in their diet. Because I do constantly, you know, I might be traveling, so I might bring a lot of food with me when I used to fly. Um, and it just, it just is like, if I can do it, and I can show you how to do it and make it fun and quick and easy, you could do it if you, if you want to. Absolutely. So, um, so I've had an issue come up a little bit myself with, um, uh, well, one, I definitely have a lot of like anxiety around eating. And so I tend like... When I was growing up, like we had uh, the one time my family all got together was like basically at mealtime and we didn't really like being around each other. So we like ate really fast and then we all split. And so I still have these really old habits of eating really fast. And so and I live by myself. So, you know, when I'm with other people and I'm sharing meals, I kind of pace myself. I'll like slow down because it's kind of about the conversation and the environment. But do you have any recommendation or any little like tidbits that I can um, any advice that I can that you can help me with around like kind of slowing the process down, especially when I'm eating by myself? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that that I've been paying attention to a lot more is my breath. Um, so if you get into your breath and where you are in the moment and your heart, again, you know, I always think about vegetarian cooking from the heart. You're just going to, well, I can't say you. I know for me, I, when I do that, I slow down. And when I'm slowing down, it's it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. I know. And it's like, I love being like bringing slow and mindfulness to so many parts of my life. And it's like, food is still that like, what, like when I'm eating by myself is like that one last bastion of like anxiety that still comes out. And I'm just like, oh, this, there's another layer of anxiety. Um, but yeah. That, remi that reminds me of a story um, many years ago, you know, pre-COVID times when I would do private lessons. And I've had many people come and do private lessons and still do. Many of those are on Zoom. Um, but this woman came into my house and we had a conversation as I usually do before she came to understand what she wanted to learn so I would have all the ingredients. Well, the lesson was going to be a couple of hours long. And, you know, I met, you know, we, we sat down just to get the game plan again, make sure there were any questions I could answer them. And after 45 minutes of talking, I realized that she had some anxiety uh, also around food and preparing food from her family of origin. And just by sitting with me and breathing and hanging out, and I probably offered her some yummy tea or some infused herbal water from my garden or something like that, 
I brought her into the kitchen and we just went real slow. And, you know, by the end of the two hours, she calmed down. She was able to cook, learn some chopping techniques. And so sometimes it just takes a little bit of hand-holding. You know, we can't always do everything ourselves. Um, we could do a lot of self-massage and so forth. But when somebody works on us or works with us, it really helps. And, and I just remember, like, how just being calm with her was, was like what she needed to just sort of have a new experience in the kitchen that she could build from. Yeah, yeah. I think that kind of like co-regulation does help. And, that, and that's, I think, what happens when I'm sharing a meal with somebody else who doesn't have anxiety around eating. Like, you know, I'm kind of feeling the vibe and maybe we're sitting outside or... Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to practice that. I'm going to practice just being mindful with my breath when I'm eating and kind of allow it to unfold from there. Beautiful. Thank you. So, um, so Leslie, tell me a little bit about some of your biggest influences that you've had over the years, whether it was from early or, you know, as you were, you know, training to become a chef. I'm, I'm, I'm so curious about your journey. How did you get here? This is a great story, actually. Um, well, first of all, I have a master's degree um, from Columbia University, but it's in movement sciences and education. I mean, I was very athletic growing up. And back then, people didn't take that many, not many friends of mine took a gap year to kind of see what they wanted to do. So I went off to grad school and found creative movement and dance as opposed to only competitive sports. And I started exploring more. And I got a university teaching job, which, which brought me to one of my first health food stores. And I would go into the health food store. There were no cookbooks back then. Um, and I would just quiz the owners. You know, teaching at a university, I'd have a two-hour break. And I'd say, what is this? And how do you cook it? And back then, people were keeping journals and writing their dreams down and all kinds of dramas going on in their life. And I was just keeping a list of ingredients, never thinking I was going to be a chef. Um, I just sort of kept a list. I didn't write down how much. It might have been I was making a stir fry, and I just wrote down the list of ingredients I put in in the order I put them in. And so when I started writing cookbooks, that those, those pads were still available, but they weren't very good um, other than teaching people how to improvise, which is still what I love to do. Um, another big influence was my grandmother. Um, when I was in college, I realized my grandmother was getting dementia and she made the yummiest shrew and everything she made from scratch was from her heart and was absolutely yummy. And I said to grandma, okay, so teach me how to make your shrewda. And she said, well, you take some flour and water and you mix it together and it should feel like this. And she was in front of me so I could see what it was like. And I was like, but grandma, how much? She said, well, you take some flour and water and you mix it together and it should look like this. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, you throw it out and start again. And so the thing that um, people may or may not know about me is I'm a self-taught chef. My grandmother from that day on inspired me to engage my senses, to look, to smell, to taste, to feel it, especially if you're working with a dough. You know, as I talked a little bit earlier, you know, look at the ingredients. What are you attracted to? Like if, if it's good for you, but you're not feeling excited chopping it, then that shouldn't go in the pot. You know, same thing with anxiety. If you're anxious while you're cooking, 
wait till you calm down so you don't put the anxiety into your pot. So I think those kinds of creative lessons that I learned from, you know, I also studied with Bonnie Cohn. So I've learned a lot about body-mind centering, about looking at things from this way, that way. So I got really creative. Food could be side by side. Something could be on the bottom. Something could be on the top. Different combinations, having studied contact improvisation and done that for years. So as a chef, I have taught chefs and taught in cooking schools, but I never went to one. Yeah. Would you ever do one of those um, competitive cooking shows? <laughs> like, No. <laughs> in fact, a few years ago, I had a woman call me up and she's like, my nine-year-old granddaughter is watching Chop and I would love to give her a gift as a birthday present where she could bring two of her friends and you could teach them how to cook. And I was like, that sounds great. We set a date and we talked about what they might want to learn. I had all the ingredients. And while I was waiting for that date to come, I said, well, let me check out this show. And I just randomly logged on and I saw people rushing around and one of the chefs cutting their hands. Oh, okay. um, I'm not into this. You know, I'm into slowing down and being mindful and kind of a slow cooking mindset, even though it might be a quick dish, so that you're paying attention and and you're not serving rush and you're not serving blood, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think that, like, that was the, the first time I really got the, I was living at an ashram in India and, um, you know, anyone who's in the kitchen has to be basically like praying and doing their mantra and putting all of these kind of, you know, like chanting, they were, that was big. That was like, if you're doing this seva, if you're doing this selfless service is, you know, participating in the kitchen, then we're like asking you to do this work in silence and to be focusing on, you know, really raising the vibrations of the food and, you know, eating, reading books like, like water for chocolate and, you know, these kind of classic, um, these class. And I was just like, Oh, like, yeah, the, the, the things that you are thinking about and feeling go into your food. And so those were really early introductions for me about not putting anxiety into the food. And sometimes I go to these restaurants and I like, and I'm just like, are they all cursing at each other and stressed in the kitchen? And when things are backed up, I'm like, we're, we're eating that energy. That's right. That's right. In fact, uh, over the years, many, many times people have asked me to open a restaurant and I never wanted to work that hard. You know, and I wanted to embody delicious as a chef to be able to have that delicious state of mind when I'm cooking. And um, I remember early on in my career as a chef, I just once I decided to do it, like the doors opened, you know, how you figure out eventually what you want to do when you grow up. And I ended up cooking for yoga and macrobiotic retreats. And then... Through that, uh, a friend who, who was one of the chefs said, you want to cook in the um, Cushy summer camp. And a lot of the people that are cooking there are cooking. Um, there's two different kitchens, actually. She said, you want to cook in the children's kitchen that also cooks for people with cancer. Because then you'll be cooking for less people and you'll be able to cook a complete dish instead of just being a chopper. And... Um, and I came back from that week. I mean, it was like an immersion in cooking. I was cooking like seven, eight hours a day. Wow. And, and I loved it. And it was hot. And I love heat. And it was in the summer. 
And I came back and I just sort of put a put an ad in many hands, you know, too busy to cook. I love to cook. And and people started hiring me for retreats and personal chef. And it was just that like week apprenticeship that inspired me because I was able to be mindful and slow down and be part of a team that was collaborating as a part as opposed to like being on an assembly line and just chopping carrots for hours. Yeah. So, so how did you trend, like, how did you really become, um, you know, this kind of intuitive, like slower process, uh, like chef, vegetarian chef into being a cookbook author? Like, how did you really transition from writing, from wanting to create intuitively to all of a sudden writing straight up recipes for other people? How did, how did that come about? Oh, that's wonderful question, too. Um, I was doing a lot of cooking classes and I started doing a lot of cooking for people with cancer and, and, and also uh, catering, you know, large events. And I started keeping a notebook of recipes again. And then people in my classes were like, you ought to write a cookbook. And I thought, well, I, I got a notebook of recipes. And kind of like that pad, I wasn't really writing down exact amounts. So my first book, I really wanted to call it um, Improvisational Cooking. And my and this was back in the early 90s, and my publisher was like, no, we're going to call it the Quick and Easy Organic Gourmet. It'll sell better. And one of the chapters was about quick and easy. But every chapter, instead of variations, had improvisations. So that anyone picking up my books, including Going Wild in the Kitchen, all of my books, um, all have ways to help you invent your own variations. So I'm, whether I'm teaching or writing, I'm always trying to get people to see all the possibilities. So what are you in the mood for? Here's a recipe, and they're all tried and true. People always say, you know, I found your recipe or I used it. It worked. And I'm like, great. But there are also different ways to change ingredients, color, mood, allergy, what's in season, who you might be cooking for, how much time you have. Again, I think I'm still that improvisational dancer athlete looking at all the options. And I want people who either read my books or take my classes to constantly feel the options. Because especially now with climate change, vegetables are not coming in in the same order and combination they used to. So I think we've still got to be that yoga, that yogini in the kitchen um, because, you know, you might, I remember catering a wedding years ago and on the menu was eggplant and it hadn't come in yet. And I called around to a lot of organic farms and I did find one that had it. But I also, my clients were willing to work with me around what was in season because they knew it would taste fresher and more, more better. So I find that that intuitive cooking comes from trusting oneself and taking one's time. Yep. It's the foundations of of intuition, just turning off the the monkey brain and just tuning into what the body is offering you and the world around. And having all the right ingredients, like part of cooking, um, you know, when people come over, they're always like, you know, I open the fridge and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, what has she got in the fridge? And oh, my gosh, how do you, oh, so you're storing all the vegetables covered in like wet, you know, real towels or, 
or they see like open shelves of beans and grains. So that, that spontaneous cooking with intuition comes from stocking the right staples. You don't have to have every bean and grain under the sun, but there are definitely some that are worth having so that you've got some ingredients that are quick and some ingredients that, that can simmer. Like I love even ingredients that are quick to sometimes cover it, lower the flame, let it just kind of, um, you know, get nourished, you know, just sort of massage it, marinate it. You know, it's not going to take that much time if it's a quick cooking ingredient, but it means that the flavors kind of start to uh, arrive on its own time. Mm, I like that. I like that the flavors arrive at their own time. I like that too. <laughs> I just... Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I'm still playing with writing that book. So everything I say is like, oh, I could write that. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about Going Wild in this kitchen, in the kitchen, the book that you have um, here in front of you? Yeah, this book came out probably over 10 years ago. And um, it's it's got all these mix and match charts. So the Going Wild part is about being wildly creative. So for instance, like the soup chapter has like what goes in first, second, and third, you know, lists. So you could say, oh yeah, I want to use this, I have that, and how you can build a recipe and tried and true. Same thing for other, all the chap, all the recipe chapters. So if it's pastries, here's all the different oils and fats you can use. Here's all the different flours. So you can go wild in the kitchen. And then there's also wild foods, like we talked about sea vegetables and some wild plants like nettles, you know, nothing too esoteric, but things that people might find locally in their own gardens or out in their yard. Did you say you were writing a cookbook right now, another one? I'm thinking about it. And yes, I am writing it very slow. It's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like I'm pregnant with it. And then some, at some point it will just kind of birth itself. Like I just taught a class for River Valley Co-op and it was on the art of the stir-fry and the sauté. And I looked at um, the quick and easy organic gourmet where I talked about, you know, what goes in first, second, and third. And I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, back in those days, probably close to 20 years ago, I did a lot of research for that book. And now as a chef, you know, with over 25 years of experience, I could look at that material and I reorganized it for the new book. So... Um, I'm putting no pressure on myself, as I say. I am writing it, and I'm I'm writing it slowly because sometimes I think maybe it'll be a course, an online course, maybe it'll be both. But I am starting to write it um, as I'm going back over old material and going, oh, okay. And there's so many recipes that are not in books, you know, just dozens and dozens that I've developed for companies and even individuals, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this would be fun to put in there and embellish so that I can help people invent their own variations. So this book is Loving Kindness in the Kitchen. I guess it's materializing as I speak and also a, a really a creative guide to inventing your own recipe. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I saw that um, on your website you had mentioned that you developed the recipe on on Bob's uh, like red mills on like the 
the peanut butter cookies for like the Teff flour. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, you know what I mean? Because I try those recipes on the back sometimes when I'm trying a new grain and I'm like, oh, what can I, what can I do with this? So I really do. I love that you have developed recipes for these companies because I, yeah, that's sometimes that's my starting place when I'm trying new, new things. Oh, neat. And in fact, going wild in the kitchen has a variation of that recipe where I added chocolate chips and I changed the proportion of maple syrup and and um, and now I use coconut oil or sometimes a pecan oil instead of canola oil. So I'm mixing and matching and I love um, I love that people are trying my recipes. I'll often get an email from people like, I tried it and I have a question or I tried it and I loved it. Um, yeah, that recipe actually was uh, a love at first bite. Uh, another interesting story, when I was at um, that mac- macrobiotic summer camp, somebody that I knew was offering samples of teff grain. And I tried it, and it was love at first bite. And I contacted the teff company, and this is way before I knew how popular gluten-free or how many people needed to be gluten-free. And I said, I'd love to develop recipes for you. And that was one of the 10 that I created. Wow. And so that recipe is like from a pamphlet they created like back in 1990. And then I've created lots of different variations, as I I mentioned, with chocolate chips and many, many cookies and many, many pie crusts with Teff. I've worked with the Teff company for over 20 years and I, well, yeah, over 20 years, I don't date myself. Um, yeah, I find Tef to be really versatile, and I'm really excited to continue to explore and create new recipes. So cool. And the high in iron, too. Isn't that what Tef is really known for, is like its iron content? Or like, what's the nutritional? Is it like it has something real special about it, besides being gluten-free, of course. You're right. It is the iron. And I remember back in those days, my iron level was a little low. And I think that's why my body sort of tasted teff and lit up. And um, uh, like a cup of teff, the grain, I think the flour might be a little lower. The, there's a brown and an ivory. I think the brown is more commonly available. And even, even locally, you can find it now in bulk. Um, the brown is about 80% iron for a cup and 32% calcium. So I think of it as... Um, a really great grain for women in terms of going through menopause or going through any any of our cycles and also for for anyone who's athletic or just you know sometimes life is like running a marathon so it's a high endurance grain um, because of its nutritional profile it's got potassium it's got the same amount of protein as an egg but it's not a complete protein and it is gluten-free um, my daughters, when they come home, they're grown now. They're always like, Mom, how do you get those pancakes to rise? I'm like, well, I guess I must be strong. I'm beating the eggs because they are gluten-free. <laughs> but, you know, they've got a little bit of a loft to them. And um, I love just creating and putting superfoods in there and mixing and matching different flours. So, again, part of the going wild in the kitchen. And any time I'm teaching a class or working with anyone, it's, I consider myself creating a master recipe for you to improvise from and be creative. And if you want, just follow the recipe over. 
Um, so if people were just starting out, which of your cookbooks would you recommend? I know you mentioned the quick and easy gourmet and that you have going wild in the kitchen. Um, would it be one of those two or a different one? Where, where would, where would the best place for people to start? Would you recommend with your cookbooks? Well, uh, there's also gluten-free recipes for the conscious cook at the moment. Um, Going Wild in the Kitchen is still in print. The other uh, cookbooks I have the rights to, so that's why, uh, in theory, it should be really easy for me to turn it around and create another book. But I always want to create something new. Um, I have one copy of Going Wild in the Kitchen left in my house if anybody wanted to contact me for an autographed copy. Otherwise, all those three cookbooks are available um, anywhere books are sold. Um, they're older books, so you may not find them on the shelf, but online you can find them. Um, and you can also request them from any bookstore. Um, again, the Quick and Easy Organic Gourmet and um, Gluten-Free Recipes for the Conscious Cooker at a print, so you might find a used copy kicking around uh, or not. Yeah. So what's, um, so of all the kind of things that you have going on, whether it's the kind of, you know, teaching chefs, doing virtual classes, um, you know, like hosting people, you know, for almost like retreat getaways that you do, these kind of personal lessons, writing cookbooks, like total renaissance woman, I love it. Uh, what's, what's really lighting you up right now? Like of all the kind of things that are in your sphere, like what's really just making your eyes pop? motivational speaking has been really exciting as well. Um, I think the more writing um, that is starting to light me up, thinking more like when, when the weather gets worse and I can't go outside, what lights me up a lot now is I've become an avid organic gardener. And so I've, I find, you know, as my kids are grown, I love going you know, I just landed a couple weeks ago, um, you know, more baby salad mix, all kinds of salad greens. And so what's lighting me up is still this organic garden to table. It's still like, what's out there? What can I eat? Picking it fresh, um, eating edible flowers that are still out there. I mean, I, I think COVID has really prevented me from doing the, the hosting of of the gourmet getaways, so I've put that on pause. Um, but I still love, you know, all the different people that connect with me. Um, and I think what what I'm really enjoying again and again and again, always in my life, is the variety. So whether it's variety of ingredients, or as you mentioned, the variety of all the different ways I can share my knowledge and express myself. Oh, I love that. I it like I feel like that's one thing that's really just keeps coming through is that like you know obviously this is such a creative force for you is like cooking and food and and teaching but also it's like the mindfulness piece and just being really present and you know I guess that kind of makes sense if you're like if you're gardening because that demands the ultimate presence you know it's like where are the weeds right what's happening with the bugs what's happening with the critters coming in you know like what's growing what needs extra water that's like ultimately having to be really really present so that makes sense in a lot of ways that that's um that's folding right into everything else that you do. And, and along with that, there's always like, uh, I know for a while, some friends of mine would say, you know, you, you, you really, 
uh, embody, you know, that luscious lifestyle, that delicious living. So if I'm out in the garden and I'm noticing, oh, yeah, there's a lot of bugs. The collards were gorgeous. I was cooking with it for days and days. And all of a sudden, there's these caterpillars. I'm really engaged with it. I'm in it. If I'm finding the should shows up, I'm out. So I never make it a chore, you know, and that's part of, you know, the way I've designed my life. I have CSA relationship. So my garden have backup, although this year even, even some crops have failed in my CSA because of excess rain or heat. Some things are doing better in my garden. Um, so I think I think it's just really about saying the big yes every moment is the practice. So where am I excited? And when I'm not excited, stop. Yes. Because there's another creative way. Maybe I'm going to cook dinner. Maybe I'm going to finally write about it. You know, that's right. <laughs> maybe I'm going to make a blog post. You know, maybe I'm going to teach a private lesson or just sit and meditate. You know, I'm never a dull moment. I love it. And so as we're coming towards the top of the hour, what's the what's the easiest way that people can find you and your work? Um, how whether it's social media or website, what's what's the easiest way that people can find you? Um, come to my website. It is www.lesliecarrier.com. And I'm going to spell that. So it's my name, L-E-S-L-I-E, C as in chef, E-R-I-E-R.com. So that's L-E-S-L-I-E-C-E-R-I-E-R.com. And I... And so go to my site, website is just chock full of TV appearances, radio interviews, podcasts. There are some recipes there, um, loads of blog posts with cooking tips and uh, inspiring, delicious photography of different dishes. And um, I mean, I've been doing this for decades, so there's so much information that um, people can go there and learn a lot or they can contact me to work with me privately or create a group experience or just bookmark it for another time. Great. And do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw out into the universe? Go wild in your kitchen. (laughs) Go wild, baby. (laughs) Go wild. Enjoy. uh, Cook when you're happy. So, you know, if you don't feel like cooking, I do personal chef work. So all of that, is, is on my website, personal chef, speaking, helping you with menu planning, developing recipes, doing speaking. Um, sometimes people have ideas for me and, and they'll run it by me and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd love to do that. Or, no, that's not me. So, <laughs> but more often than not, I'm, I love when people find me and, um, and connect. Fabulous. So. Well, thank you for coming on to Energy Matters today, Leslie. It was a pleasure chatting with you and and learning all about how, you know, vegetarian and vegan and gluten-free cooking can be really just luscious and mindful and creative. So I I really, um, I'm feeling very inspired to go home and and cook a great dinner tonight. Thank you. Um, and if people are just tuning in and want to learn more about Leslie's work, again, you can always hop over to um, to Leslie Carrier. Um, it's L E S L I E C E R 
I-E-R, um, and that, uh, .com, and that will get you over um, to explore lots of, again, lots of um, education and recipes and all that good stuff there. Um, and if you're just looking for this episode, um, you can always find the Energy Matters podcast. Uh, a, they're posted a week after uh, the interview. So if you want to catch this full episode... You can always go um, and check out the Energy Matters podcast uh, or to ReikiNorthampton.com. So have a great weekend, everyone, and be well.